0: Welcome to the Living a Naturally Healthy Life podcast with Delaine N. D. The podcast for people looking to correct chronic illnesses such as diabetes through lifestyle change. I'm Dr. Delaine Vaughn. As a physician, I see many patients who are ill because of lifestyle decisions such as food choices. Typically, diseases such as diabetes are managed with pills or injections. This approach creates a vicious, expensive, and unhealthy cycle of medication and then more medication to address the negative side effects. As a physician, and a life coach, I work with clients to resolve their diseases, get off their medications, and live a naturally healthy life. If you don't like the healthcare system in America, I recommend you use less of it by being naturally healthy. So if you feel there has to be a better, more natural way to live a healthy life, you are in the right place. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast, episode number 103, I'm your host, Dr. Delaine Vaughn. If you are looking for strategies to live a naturally healthy life, you are in the right place. Today is the long-promised, probably not long-awaited podcast on shame. I've been talking about this and doing a lot of research on it over the last couple of months, and here it is. We're going to talk about it. Before we dig into the topic of shame, I do want to give a quick plug for upcoming podcasts. There is going to be a conversation with one of my clients, an interview with one of my clients. I love doing client podcasts because one, it's fun to talk to my clients and like really kind of review their six months and sometimes it's been a little longer, but the changes, the journey they've started on, what they've seen, what their experience was. But more than that, I think it's really important for people who are listening to hear what Women who have made these changes and gotten these results in their life, what they describe it as, what words that they use. So that is coming up. So uh, probably in the next month, maybe six weeks, I will have a client podcast for you. I have another podcast coming up on how to cultivate feelings and another podcast on grieving. Again, you know, I'm just doing all these really fun, hip happening, hot topics, shame, grieving. Don't worry. I'll probably get to guilt sometime in the (laughs) the middle of all this. But this one on grieving isn't going to be what you think it is, but learning to grieve appropriately is really necessary for learning to leave unhealthy habits behind us. So make sure you're hitting subscribe so you don't miss any of these podcasts. So let's talk about shame. Before we get too deep into shame and what it is, I want to discuss why it's important because, again, it's this very heavy idea dealing with shame. However, it's really important to understand how shame is keeping us from the results that we're wanting to get. So I do want to talk about that before we dig into what shame is and what it does to our brain and then how do we have strategies to un do shame and not really undo shame, but really deal with it in a more productive way. So shame researchers and research on shame shows that shame is the one emotion that human beings will experience that erode the part of ourselves that believe we are capable of change, that that believes that there's something different. So where I see this in women when they come to work with me, so before my program, they're having thoughts like, I can't believe I let myself get this bad. I knew something bad was going to happen if I didn't get this under control. I can't go and see my old friends. I can't go to my high school reunion. I can't go to my college reunion like this. I'm going to have to eat funny. I don't look the way I want to look. I can't go anywhere looking like this. I know better than this. The doctor told me, but I didn't listen, and I can't go back and see them if I haven't made some kind of progress. I've only gotten worse, and anybody can see this. I can't control myself even when I know I'm going to die from the way I'm eating. And the other one that's really we're going to dig into for a minute is what are other people thinking of me? What must others be thinking of me? This is actually a a lose-lose question. This is the worst kind of question anyone can ask themselves. There's no way to answer this question that leads to anything good, right? No one ever says, what must others be thinking of me? Oh, they must be thinking I'm doing an epic job at fixing this. I just can't see it. Or nobody ever answers that question with, everybody except me clearly sees I'm rocking the face off of this. That never happens. What others must be thinking of me is a shitty question. When we ask ourselves shitty questions, we give ourselves shitty answers. It's really simple. I have an Instagram post. It's pretty old. It's a couple of years old, but it says, shitty thoughts get shitty results. Questions are just a different form of thoughts. If we're asking bad questions, we're going to get bad answers. That's what what it comes down to. So recognize that that question's going in your head. There is no benefit from coming to that. There is no benefit coming from that question. So figure out what the answer. What do you believe other thing others are thinking of you? Because that's really where you're going to move beyond that question. I've actually heard diabetic clients talk very darkly. Have a very dark, grim prognosis. Of their situation. Things like, I am on my way to death, I might as well be dead. This all comes from shame. Shame can be a very dark thing. When we think these kinds of thoughts, it never leads to any effective life changes. When we have the thought, I can't believe I let myself get this bad, it does not lead to eating healthier or healthier habits or any habit changes. When we think I knew something bad was going to happen if I didn't get my eating under control, it does not cause us to make any change towards our health. When we have thoughts like, I can't see my friends looking like this, I can't go to a high school reunion looking like this, this leads us to hide. When we have thoughts like, I know better than this, it does not lead to any inspired action. When we have a belief the doctors told me but I didn't listen listen, and I can't go back and see them if I haven't made any progress, this leads to ineffective actions like avoiding our doctor until we've made the changes that we believe we need to make but so far have not been able to make. Beliefs like I've only gotten worse, anybody can see this, leads us to hide. And likely when we're hiding, we're also eating something like Oreos to buffer away our emotions. What do I mean by buffering? Quickly, buffering is any action that we take or that we do instead of dealing with the discomfort of an emotion. That's eating for most of us that are listening to this podcast. If we have eaten ourselves to the point that we are sick with type 2 diabetes, Eating is something that we do to manage our emotions, not deal with the discomfort of an emotion, right? Other ways, drinking, smoking, gambling, shopping, drug use, all sorts of things that humans do to buffer. But when we have these beliefs that cause us to hide, when we have these beliefs that cause us to feel shame, that leads us to hide. And to alleviate that discomfort of the shame, we typically will turn to food to give us a little dopamine hit in our brain so we don't have to feel so badly. Other thoughts, like I can't control myself even though I know I'm going to die from the way that I'm eating, never leads to an effective lifestyle change. And then, of course, what other might others might think of me, what must others be thinking of me, that leads us again to hide and avoid. So if any of these thoughts are things that you have experienced, shame is in your emotional repertoire. Shame researchers say that shame is prevalent in human beings. It's prevalent. I see it coming up all over for my clients, even in my program, after somebody signs and is in their six-month program with me, and even I see it after my program. And what these things sound like is shame during the program, I'm not doing this right. Everybody else is getting better results in it than I am. I missed a few meetings and everybody thinks that I'm not taking it seriously or I'm not doing what I should do. Shame after their program sounds like I'm having too many joy eats. I'm not able to stick to my protocol. I've gained a few pounds. All of this is going to lead to some form of I'm not going to be able to hold it together and keep my results long term. I'm going to get sick again. I'm going to die of diabetes no matter what. All of this leads to this feeling of shame. Shame can be ubiquitous ubiquitous in our brain. In fact, the lead, one of the leading shame researchers is Brene Brown. It's very hard to discuss shame and not to discuss Brene Brown. Um, but she says that shame is a universal human emotion. She calls it one of the most primitive of human emotions. So again, we can't get through this without talking about Brene Brown, so I do want to um, – touch briefly on her. Most of the research that I have come across regarding shame has Brene Brown at its roots. Her work has been foundational not only in describing and defining shame and its outcomes, but also in bringing shame to the forefront and shining a light that it really needs to be dealt with. Her work cannot be understated in what it has brought to the field of mental health and how we are learning to deal with shame and to bring benefits, the benefits of dealing with shame. So kudos to Brene Brown. I'm done with my girl crush on Brene Brown, but I always tell folks, I tell my clients this pretty regularly. In some other alternate universe, Brene Brown and I are best friends because she's just a hoot. So if you ever get a chance, she's got some TED Talks. She's got a great, program on Netflix. It's an hour long program on Netflix. She's just amazing to listen to and her research is amazing. And she's very witty and funny and down to earth. And I just think she's amazing. So check her out. But let's dig into all the fun that shame brings. So shame define. Now that we've talked about all that other stuff, where we see it, how it shows up in our life and why it, you know, it's such a problem and how, you know, really it's everywhere. It just really courses through our existence. Let's dig into the nitty gritty about it. Let's define it. So shame is defined as a highly unpleasant self-conscious emotion arising from the sense of there being something dishonorable, immodest, or indecorous in one's own conduct or circumstances. So I know what dishonorable and immodest mean. I did not know what indecorous mean, and maybe I'm mispronouncing it. That's possible. But when I looked it up, it means not in keeping with good taste and propriety. It's improper. So I I like improper better. But what I did really like about this definition, there are other definitions that I've come across. I like this one because it's talking about our feelings, like this unpleasant self-conscious emotion or feeling that comes from the sense of there being something dishonorable, immodest, or improper about our conduct or our circumstances, right? Because so many times people will feel shameful about there where like they came from the wrong side of the tracks or they didn't have you know the best education or whatever that will create shame in a lot of people so i think it's really important to see that it's not only about our conduct and our actions but it's also about things that are totally outside of our control so i really liked that definition i want to point out that guilt is a similar emotion the difference between shame and guilt is shame is something that we give as a description of ourselves i am bad i am Unvaluable, I am unworthy. I am this thing, whereas guilt is a description of an action. I did something bad. I did something unworthy. I did something not good. So that's the difference between those two emotions, and I wanted to point that out. Many of us were brought up with guilt and shame in our families, our cultures, our society. We were taught to believe that shame would drive us to behave in a certain way that was more becoming of others' expectations, and this seems reasonable, if not totally common. And I certainly heard phrases like shame on you more than once as a child. But if we look at shame in a pre-modern situation, pre-modern living, they believe, like social scientists, anthropologists, um, archaeologists, believe that shame seems to have served the purpose of managing behaviors and keeping one in line with societal norms. As I've discussed in the past on the podcast, fitting in or being part of a tribe was very important in pre-modern living. It gave an individual a survival advantage. Being ashamed about stealing from another member of your tribe or stealing a maid or not sharing when one was in need, that may have had a survival advantage pre-modern. However, this sort of shame was externally directed on a person versus the shame that we're talking about here. That's an internally directed feeling. It's directed from ourselves at ourselves. This is part of a definition of our self-worth and our self-value system, really. I am bad. I am wrong. I am unworthy. This internal dialogue is much different from shame on you for being selfish, right? So again, the behavioral health Research pegs shame as the emotion that not only keeps us from believing we can change or be different, but it actually erodes our ability to believe this. It's not simply a block. It's a destroyer of the place in our brain that believes that there can be something different. Shame is truly, truly a tragic experience and feeling and people will get plagued with them and it with shame and it keeps them stuck so that's why I want to deal with this so dealing with shame can be divided into three primary categories there can be other ways but we're going to deal with these three primary categories one people can avoid two people can people please. And three, people can deal with shame through aggression. So avoiding is pretty straightforward. You're running, you're hiding, you're not dealing with it, you're not going into the situation. People pleasing is very interesting. So if you are shamed by your aunt for wearing too short of a skirt, instead of addressing it head on, and if you like internalize that shame, right, instead of addressing it head on and, you know, saying, no, I don't believe that and challenging your aunt's 10 cents on this, right? Like that's one way to deal with it. But people pleasing means that you just always wear a skirt that's a little longer when you're around your aunt because you don't want to hear her shaming you about it. Okay. And then aggression is another name, way that we deal with shame. And that's just straightforward lashing out. So these three ways are very interestingly similar to the sympathetic nervous response of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So flight and freezing are, of course, seen as avoiding, right? Like either we run away or we freeze and we just don't do anything about it. That is avoiding. Fawning, if you didn't know what fawning was, because I didn't know what fawning was, I heard it a few months ago and I had to look it up. But fawning is actually people pleasing, it is the use of a people pleasing tactic to resolve a conflict. That is what fawning is. And then fighting, of course, is that aggressive component, okay? The important, the reason that it's important to see this correlation of how we are managing shame and the sympathetic nervous system response is to see that our bodies will engage in the same biochemical responses with shame that we do with other stressors. So the decisions that we make under the impact of this biochemistry frequently will not be in our best interest. The feelings that we get with the biochemistry will frequently make us feel physically uncomfortable and seek some way out or some way to dissipate this discomfort, usually in the form of Oreos and pizzas. So that is why it's really important to see this correlation. It's no wonder that shame is the emotion that erodes our belief that we will ever be able to change. When we feel it, we get this uncomfortable feeling and the only way that we know how to deal with this uncomfortable feeling is to eat Oreos and pizzas, giving us evidence that we're never going to be able to change. Okay, so how do we deal with shame? What is what is the best way to deal with shame? There's a number of different ways, but the research shows that there are at least two antidotes to shame: one, shining a light on it, and two, compassion. So, what do they mean? What does it meant by what? Do, what does it mean when I say shining a light on it, it means talking about it? It really means saying it. Maybe not with a random neighbor or the barista at Starbucks unless they're your best friend, most trusted friend. If they are, go for it. If your neighbor is your most trusted friend, yes, yes, that is your person. It also doesn't mean that you're talking with someone you don't trust or you know who or someone that you know will judge you harshly. We should be able to talk should And I say should, not in the good way. We should be able to talk with our families, but many of us know that families can be our harshest critics. Sometimes we need our harsh critics. This is not one of those places. Many siblings experience sibling rivalry far into adulthood, which means they are not the person that are going to help you shine the light on your shame. Finding a trusted friend who you trust loves you and you know they deal with you in a loving way sharing the thoughts that you're having about your disease, about your diabetes, sharing that with them, the feelings that you're experiencing from those thoughts. Those are the kind of folks that you want to have this conversation. If you're not sure you can trust anybody, take it to your therapist. If you don't have a therapist yet, it's probably time to get one. This is what is meant by shining the light on the shame. That light, that sharing, That talking about it dissipates the shame. Shame wants to hide and light won't let it. The sharing of it won't let it hide. So talk about it write about it. You all know I promote journaling. Shameless promotion of my getting started video on my website, www.delainemd.com. There's an e-journal to help you start the journaling process and really hone in that journaling component. But writing about it is shining the light on it. Take it to your therapist. Look at it. Do not let the shame hide. It grows in the dark, so bring it to the light. Okay. the second antidote to shame is having compassion. So what does having compassion mean? What does it mean to be compassionate? A lot of times we can externally direct compassion. I can be compassionate with my child when they fall and skin their knee. I can be compassionate with my very best friend when she's going through a hard time. But directing compassion towards myself is hard. So I came across the Oxford Handbook of Compassion Science. What? I was like, there's that? There's a thing. Yes, this is a thing. And it actually comes up with five steps for dealing with compassion. So, step one is awareness of another's experience, suffering, or need. Step two is feeling moved by the situation. Step three is recognizing that you feeling moved is a response to the other's need or suffering. Step four is making a judgment that the other person is suffering with this experience. It's not about making a judgment about their experience. It's about saying, I see what you're going through and I see that you're suffering. Step five is engaging in a behavior that attempts to alleviate others' suffering or need. Okay, so how do you be compassionate, right? This is the, I think this is amazing. I think it's amazing that there are five steps that are um, listed in the Compassion Science Handbook so that we can figure out this kind of complex, um, almost ethereal, very not concrete experience of compassion, okay? So I wanna challenge this to anybody, to me, to you, to your friends, to my friends. I want to challenge you to direct these five steps at yourself, to direct this at self-compassion. Use these steps directed at you. Find awareness of your needs and your suffering in a situation. Be aware of it. Can you feel moved or find some feeling of understanding for why you are feeling this way about the situation? Can you see that this understanding has been created Because of the suffering that you are experiencing. Can you see that the situation is creating the suffering that you're experiencing? And then can you engage in something that will alleviate the suffering for you? Maybe talking with a trusted friend like we talked about before, right? Getting some advice from those who love you and you love. Remember when you are experiencing the motion of shame, you are releasing all sorts of biochemical of biochemistry that is not appropriate for the situation. That biology overrides your brain's ability to make decisions that serve your needs. A friend is able to see this. This is why shining a light on shame is so helpful. This is why a close and trusted friend or therapist will help. They are not under the effects of this biochemistry. They have a more rational answer to the situation than you will. Okay, I feel like I could go on about this really fun, hip, hot topic of shame for quite some time, but I think that this is a great place to kind of close this part up. If you have any questions or want to, you know, if you don't agree, you're like, no, this is not what shame is, or I don't do those things, send me an email. I love hearing any comments back about my podcast. My email is Delane at DelaneMD.com. Remember, if there's one thing you could take home from this podcast, remember, shame will erode your belief that anything can be different, that things can change. If you feel like this is really the experience where you are, this is your biggest obstacle, this is where you can't get past, there's help. This is where coaching is so incredibly helpful. You can see through coaching what your brain is offering you, and then a good coach challenges you. A good coach offers you a safe place to challenge whether these thoughts and feelings are true. If you see this is the challenge that's keeping you from reaching your health goals, set up some time for a free consult with my program about my program to see how it will help you reach those goals. You can email me again, Delane at DelaneMD.com, or you can go to Calendly if you're aware. Calendly is an online calendar or scheduling program. It's www.calendly. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y.com forward slash Delane MD altogether. All right. I hope you found this helpful. I will talk with you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Also leave me a review. If you want to resolve your diabetes naturally without any pills or injections, I can help you. Visit DelaneMD.com for more information. Click on the work with me tab, send me a message, and we can set up a mini coaching session. You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you soon.